Good morning again. It's good to be together to open the Word of God together on a beautiful Lord's Day. Every Lord's Day is beautiful, and every day the Lord makes is beautiful. So sometimes it sounds kind of redundant to state the obvious, but it is good to be together, and thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I was looking at our text for this week, which is in Ephesians 4, and I was thinking about what Paul is saying, and he's giving us this, this model, I think, for what our discipleship should look like, and we're going to see that as we go through the text. But then I was thinking about the, the whole of Scripture and how I think when we read the entire Bible, we get this idea, this picture that there is an obligation for the people of God to take what we know of God, to take what we have learned of God, and to pass it along to the next generation. And I thought of a few texts, and I want to share them with you, because I think this really fits with what we're going to see today. As far back as the time of Moses, God had instructed the people of Israel to love him with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, and all their strength. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then, right after God says that, this is what he says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Pass this information on in the totality of your life. We fast forward to the time of David and the kings And what do we read in the Psalms? There's two Psalms. Psalm 78. Give ear, O peoples, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and of his might and the wonders that he has done. Psalm 71, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who are to come. You see that pattern of of knowing God and passing that information on to the next generation. And I think that's what Paul is telling us here in Ephesians 4 today. He's going to tell us, when you disciple, here's how you were taught. Here's how you learned Christ. Now do this. So that's the structure of what we're going to see this morning. And I don't think this applies. I mean, some of these texts that we just read are specific to a family, right? Pass this on to your children, to the next generation. But I think we also need to apply this not only to physical and literal generations, but to generations of disciples, of Christians. What happens when someone comes to know the Lord, they grow, they share their faith with someone else, and they lead that person to Christ? That is a second-generation Christian. And on and on the generations go in our faith. So when the Bible tells us, pass on this information to the next generation, this is not reserved for parents. This is reserved for Christians. To take what God has taught us through his word, through the gospel, and pass this on to the coming generations. So let's look at Paul's model for discipleship, his example of teaching. I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, if you haven't done so already. And I'm going to start in verse 17. 
and I'll read through verse 24, and we'll begin for this morning. So follow along in your Bibles, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, we need your help now. As always, but specifically in this time in your word, please open our understanding. We want to read and apply and be equipped to pass on the truth of the gospel to the next generation. I pray that this church would be marked by this kind of discipleship. Where we encourage one another to take off the old man. To be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on Christ. So come and do a work here this morning, Lord, through the preaching of your word. I have nothing of importance to say if it does not come from your word, so please speak and do the work that I cannot do, that only you can do through the power of your spirit, for the good of your church. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to see two main points this morning as we look at verses uh, 20 through 24. First, we're going to see the basis for Paul's discipleship. And then second, the content of Paul's discipleship. And I'm just going to ask, would someone mind closing those blinds? we got some people that are getting blinded over there. Thank you. Appreciate that. So the, the reason that I started with last week's text is because when we come to our text this week, Paul says, but that is not the way that you learn Christ. We need to know what the that is. How's that for good grammar? The that. So that's not the way you learn Christ. What is not the way that you learn Christ? And in case you weren't here last week, let me give you a summary of what we saw in verses 17 through 19. Paul urges the Christians in Ephesus, these are Christians, and he urges them to no longer walk like they used to. Don't follow that pattern of behavior. Don't continue to walk in the ways that you once did. And his point was that the gospel has transformative power. That once we receive the grace of God, we should no longer look as we once did, but should, sometimes slowly by progression, look more and more like Jesus Christ. He calls them to turn away from that way of living. So in verse 20, when we come here now this morning, that is not the way you learn Christ. What he means by that is when they were taught when they were discipled by someone, trained, whatever word you want to put in there, they were taught those things, to put those things behind. He says, you know better. They were taught better than that. In some cases, I'm sure it was Paul himself who taught them. We know he spent time in Ephesus. So he's saying, you need to abandon 
this old way of life, and now he's going to fill in the gaps as to what we ought to do when we come to our text today. He's saying that they did not learn Christ in such a way as to receive the gift of salvation and just stay the same. He says, that's not the way you learn Christ. You didn't receive the gospel and just say, well, that's nice, but it really doesn't have any effect on me. I'm just going to keep living the way I live. No. He says, that's not the way you learn Christ. So what is the way that they learn Christ? Notice the language here in verse 20 and 21 about learning and teaching. Learning and teaching. We need to understand that the gospel spreads primarily through words. Maybe some of you recognize this quote by St. Francis of Assisi when he said, Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary use words. Now I know what he's getting at, right? He's telling us that there needs to be cohesion between what we profess and how we live. Your conduct needs to match your confession. But come on, if necessary use words, we know from the scriptures, brothers and sisters, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So I'm sorry, but Francis, I think, is only partially right. We do need to live out the gospel. But the way that we learn, there is a transference of information, learning, teaching. The words Paul uses here are very specific and very intentional. It's obvious, as this sounds, (laughs) when we teach people, we want to give them what they did not previously have. (laughs) Right? The point of teaching is learning. So I know that's probably the most obvious thing you'll hear all day, and I'm okay with that. But there is this exchange, this transference of information in our growing and maturing in the Christian life. People must hear from us. If you're under the impression, the impression, sound like I'm from the South. If you're under the impression that you can just, okay, that's not what I meant. If you are under the impression that you can just live a moral life, clean up your act, And people will just see Jesus all over you. Is that the whole truth? It's a partial truth. We need to live in a way that's been changed. That's what Paul was just saying. Don't live like that anymore. Live like this. But I think that the gospel must be explicit in our conversations. Don't assume that someone looks at the way you live and go, oh, they must be a Christian. They must love Jesus. I want to love Jesus. You need to tell them. Maybe when you were growing up, you heard somebody say, children should be seen and not heard. Well, God's children need to be seen and heard. It's a both and here, okay? So it's this confession, profession. And notice also, I think this is really interesting, the way Paul phrases this. He says, this is not the way that you learned Christ. He doesn't say, this is not the way that you learned the list of rules that I sent to you. This isn't the way that you learned all of these behavior modifications that I want you to. He says, this is not the way that you learned Christ, a person. He personifies the learning to emphasize the fact, I think, that our God is a God of relationship. A God of relationship. This should be seen in clear contrast to what the world will say. Well, just do this, don't do that. This isn't just do's and don'ts that Paul is passing on here. All other religions, including the religions of Paul's day, 
offered only external modifications. If you want to please the God, you have to do this or that or don't do that. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms a person from the inside, which is why Paul is going to say the renewal in the spirit of your mind. It has to start inside. It has to start in our heart before any kind of outside change comes. Paul is eager, I believe, for these believers to understand the difference between Jesus Christ and the gods they used to serve. You remember these people were converted from all kinds of idol worship. And Paul is saying, Jesus, the person that you learned, is not some cold, lifeless statue. He is the risen and ascended God who is living and who is the head of your church. And by faith in him, he becomes our brother, our king, and our God. This is the way that you learned Christ. This relational aspect is really common in the New Testament. It's what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ so attractive to so many people in a good way. We see this other places in Paul's writing. In Philippians chapter 3, he's talking about his longing to grow closer to Christ. And he says this in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings. Or in Colossians chapter 2, Verse 6, he says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. It's not just the reception of a new way of living, although it is that. It is the reception of a total transformation, body, spirit, mind, and that transformation comes through the work and the person of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the way that they learned Christ. Paul now in verse 21 makes two assumptions about these believers, these Christians. He assumes that they have heard Christ and that they have been taught in him. So let's look at what those things mean. I think the NASB gets the translation right here when it leaves out the word about in verse 21. It's not there in the original language. So Paul is saying that these people have heard Jesus Not just that they heard about him or had some vague understanding of who he was. They have heard him. Now how might they have heard Jesus? This was years after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. How do we hear Jesus? Through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? They heard Christ by hearing the gospel. They heard him speak through his word and through the communication of the gospel of salvation. This is why I said earlier it's so important that we speak the truth in addition to living the truth of Christ. And they were taught, I think, by the apostolic teaching, by the traditions of the apostles and the disciples that were handed down. This is how we got the canon of Scripture, was by these writings being preserved. They were taught in Christ. Paul's ministry was a teaching ministry. When we read the New Testament, we see him going around on his missionary journeys. He plants churches, and he doesn't just come into a town and... and, uh, turn the tables over and and accuse the false gods and say, okay, well, you can get saved through Jesus Christ and then blow out of town. What does he do? He establishes churches. He teaches the people both in the temple and in their homes. We read in Acts 
It was this complete teaching ministry. And if Paul was not able to personally stay there and teach them himself, what did he do? He established elders. He established leaders in the church to carry on this all-important task of discipling, transferring information, and teaching and training. This is God's plan for us, that the church be grown together, just like we saw earlier in chapter 4, grown together and strengthened as we mature in Christ. Now look at the end of verse 21. Paul says that we were, or they were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So what does that statement imply about what the content of our teaching, training, discipleship efforts should be? We've talked about this in previous messages, but just to refresh, Paul affirms here, I think by saying this at the end of verse 21, that the message they heard and the message they were going to proclaim was true, not just because someone decided it was true, but because it was the authoritative, true word of God. We're talking about this a little bit in Sunday school. Last week, this week, and also next week, we'll be in the doctrine of the word of God and why it is reliable, why it is authoritative. But when Jesus Christ speaks his words, they are truth. When the Bible speaks the words of God, it is truth. And Paul is making this contrast between the ways that they used to live, which were false, we're going to see that when we come to verse 22, and the truth that is in Jesus. And I would just remind us that it is an objective truth, meaning it is true whether we feel like it's true or not. That's an important point to make. Because there's some things in the Bible that people just refuse to accept because there is no way that could be true. Well, it is. And we need to bend our wills to the Scriptures, not bend the Scripture to us. When the Word of God speaks, God speaks. And His Word is true. That was John 17, when Jesus is praying for His disciples. And He says, not only for these disciples, but for all who will come after. So we group ourselves together with them. And and Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. And this is the truth that Paul is talking about. The truth is in Jesus. So that is how they were taught. They heard the gospel. They heard Christ speak through his word. That word is true. And all of this is the basis for Paul's discipleship. Now let's spend the rest of our time on the second point, looking at the content of Paul's discipleship. So what are we to do as we teach and admonish one another? This is the model we see here, and it's so good. These verses are like Paul's little training manual. (laughs) Do you want to teach? Do you want to be a good representative of Christ? Then pay attention to what these next verses say. So what I did when I was looking at this text, and you can look in your Bible, in, uh, in verse 21, Paul says here, assuming that you have heard of him and were taught in him, and I circled that word taught, and then you can make a line, or what, if you don't like to write in your Bible, that's okay. Um, but we were taught, and these are the three things, verse 22, 23, and 24, right? They were taught to put off the old self. They were taught to be renewed in the spirit of their minds. And they were taught to put on the new 
self. You see that? That's the structure now that we're going to work through here as we go through the rest of this. And I think even before we get into this, the order in which Paul puts these is really significant, isn't it? This is process, not event. Okay, so when it says you have to put off the old self, the old man, Paul isn't implying that if you ever struggle with sin again, then you're not a Christian. All of these are voiced in this present and ongoing tense where we keep on putting off the old man. We keep on being renewed in our minds and we continue to put on the new man. So don't hear all of this and assume that if you just get to a certain level, then it's done. This is lifelong, brothers and sisters. This is a constant pursuit, which is why God in his wisdom did not just give us one inoculation of the Holy Spirit, but he indwells us to help us live these things out. So first, verse 22, the old self has to be done away with. Put off the old self. And this happens by the power of the Spirit. Then you're renewed from the inside, the renewal of your mind, and we said that earlier, that this change has to happen inside, which is followed by then these external changes about putting on the new man. A little more significance about that as we go. But when we read that they have been taught to put off the old self, or literally the old man, I think it refers to the ongoing process of what you and I would call sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Paul urges them to leave behind those old practices. We spent a whole morning on that last week. To put off the old man. And notice he says that their former manner of life is corrupt, We all know what corrupt means, rotted, no good, unuseful. It is corrupt through deceitful desires. And I think we need to see this contrast. Remember just the verse earlier? The truth is in Jesus. Lies or deceit are in the self. Paul is reinforcing the point that you and I cannot decide what is right and true apart from God or his word. So he says our old self is corrupt through deceitful desires desires. We need to get rid of those things, hold them up to the light, the truth of the Bible, and take them off. So they've been taught to put off the old man, and we'll see a little bit about that in a second, to no longer walk as they once did. And now in verse 23, he says they have been taught to be renewed in the spirit of their mind. And here's why I think this is so important. If you and I only put off what is false, if we recognize what is dangerous, harmful, unhelpful, whatever, and we put those things away, but we never actually change anything or move in the other direction, what, what have we done? You might be able to put it off for a while, kind of grit your teeth and, and do it, but you're going to wear out and you're going to slip right back into the old self. Then maybe you'll feel guilty and you'll do it again a little bit and you'll just, you'll just keep on this, this cycle. The importance of the renewal that Paul is talking about is that without this, without our minds being renewed by the power of God, we have no hope of ultimately putting away the things that need to be put away and putting on the things we need to put on. This happens through the power of the Spirit. This is a very close parallel, by the way, to what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. When he said, this is verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you, my testing, may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is acceptable and good and perfect. You and I are not going to be able to judge what is right, what is wrong, what is unhelpful, what is helpful, what is wise, what is foolish, without some kind of standard, some kind of truth that comes from outside us. Paul is telling us that that truth is in Jesus And we ought to put him on as the new way of living. I mean, you can clean up your act, right? You can quit smoking and drinking, gambling, running around, whatever, cheating, whatever. You can can do all that. But it's not going to be lasting. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we continually fall back into the old way of living. Therefore, Paul says that we ought to put off the old man to be renewed, redone, reborn, in a sense, in the spirit of our minds. Then lastly, in verse 24, we are to put on the new man. Paul expounds on this in Colossians chapter 3. And this is, again, what I mean by a parallel passage. You know what parallel passage is? Parallel, two things running right next to each other, right? Like a railroad track. So if you're in a Bible study or you hear a sermon and somebody says, well, this is a parallel passage, what they mean is that both passages affirm the same thing. Okay, they're running on parallel tracks, and we can use one to help interpret the other. So that's what parallel text means. So listen as I read from Colossians chapter 3, and bear in mind all of this language that we've just seen in Ephesians 4. Here's what Paul says elsewhere. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. But now, you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another. Paul says, since you have taken off the old self. that sound familiar? with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. So here we have examples of what Paul means. When we take off the old self with its practices, we say goodbye and we sever the relationship with sinful behaviors that keep us from fellowship with God. So what about the positive sense? What about the putting on of the new man? Well, he continues in Colossians 3. Therefore, this is verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This taking off and putting on is a total transformation of our way of living. We should be so emptied of the world that there is only room for Christ and we should be so full of Christ that there is no room for the world and its lies to us. This is the taking off and the putting on. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of what discipleship ought to be 
These three things in verses 22, 23, and 24 should mark the way that you and I as Christians pass along the truth of the gospel to the next generation. These should be key elements in our discipleship. And that doesn't mean that every time you sit down with someone, you have to open to Ephesians 4 and say, okay, did you put off the old self today? Right? There's some relationship in this, isn't there? And that's what I want to see now as we close. I want to consider just a few of these things. I was thinking about this this week and the, the many different opportunities that we have, both as a church and as individuals, to put this into practice. If you live in a house with anybody else, you have this opportunity. If you work at a job with anybody else, you have this opportunity. So what marks your discipleship? What marks the way that you communicate the truth of the gospel with the people you interact with? Is it this? Is this the way? So I asked myself some questions, and I just want to ask you the same questions that I asked myself. Do our, I'll just use personal terms, do my efforts in discipleship look like this? Am I reminding people of what we once were and encouraging them to put that aside, to leave behind the things that tangle us up, trip us up, Do I ask questions that go beyond the normal, hey, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good. Am I encouraging other people to pursue holiness, to engage the word of God so that our minds can be renewed and that we can put on the new man? Am I doing that? Are you doing that? Now, all of these questions kind of assume one thing. They assume that there is a level of relationship where these kinds of questions are normal. It's kind of awkward to go up to somebody that you don't know or maybe have met once and just be like, so how you doing with your sin? <laughs> there, there may be times for that. I'm not saying that's a never situation. I'm just saying that the relational aspect of the gospel is such a tailor-made situation for us to build relationship so that when something's off, you can smell it. And men, I'm going to speak right to you here for a moment. Listen up. Wake up. It is really hard for us a lot of times to open up about these kinds of things. The the patent response to every question is, good. You know that's not the case. So let's lead by example here. Get yourself in some relationships where you have other men who can call you out on your sin, who can encourage you to pursue holiness, and who will encourage you to put on compassion, gentleness, patience, kindness, goodness, all the fruit of the Spirit. That is the best thing that you can do for your job, for your marriage, for your parenting, whatever you do. The best thing you can do is build those relationships where other people have access to your life. And ladies, same goes for you. I know it's really easy to come to church and paint it on and act like everything's fine. We all know that it's not. We all know that it's not. We are not some kind of group of well-put-together people. We're a bunch of dummies who get it wrong all the time. 
And we need the help of each other and of the Holy Spirit to bring us past that point of pride that says, no, I'm fine, I, I can handle it, I can deal with it. That's pride. And it's dangerous. So all of these things we're seeing in Ephesians chapter 4 are made for the church, for believers who come together, who put ourselves in situations where we can be open to this kind of correction, encouragement. It's for the good of our souls. And it's a two-way street. We, we need to engage in this in one another. And this is my encouragement to you. Engage in this with one another so that we can help each other put off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And just like Paul says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Would God make it so in our church? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And I confess that so often I have not followed the instruction of this text. <laughs> I've not always encouraged people in the way that I should. And I haven't always put off the old self as quickly as I should. And sometimes I hang on to parts of the past. Father, help me to get rid of those things. I pray that as a church we would grow in this area. Would we build the kind of strong, gospel-centered relationships that are open to questions that go beyond the surface, that we can really grow and be mature so that we can help other people too. This isn't just for our benefit, Lord. This is for the good of the church, your body of whom you made Jesus Christ, your son, the head. So help us honor this text by obeying it and putting these things into practice. We love you so much. We're so thankful for your word that teaches and instructs us. And please now apply it to our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.